Now, when Johnny Carson does Carnac uh, the Magnificent, he comes to the last envelope and says, I hold in my hand the last envelope, and in derision, the people cheer because it's all over. I hold in my hand the last outline on the series on Joseph. Thanks for not clapping. <laughs> well, we've been a long time working our way through this rich and helpful study of the book of, of the life of Joseph. And what we do, if you're here for the first time, and many of you are, on Sunday night, we, you know, we do a celebration type sermon on Sunday morning, kind of a three points and a poem. It's our illustration, but Sunday night we work with a worksheet from God's Word, verse by verse, or chapter by chapter, or book by book, and uh, or all three. And we're coming to the end tonight to this marvelous reunion with Joseph's father. And I want you to give me about twenty-five minutes of undivided attention. You know, the Lord not only judges us for what we hear but He also judges us for what we don't hear. And uh, this is not what the Lord would say if He were here. It's what the Lord is saying because He is here. So you follow with me in the 45th chapter of Genesis, beginning at verse 16. I'm going to read through this to the start of the next chapter, and then I'll go to the sermon and refer to chapter 46 later. So don't turn... don't close your Bible at the end of this. Don't you dare. Just keep it on your lap. Use your worksheet. Now, when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beast and go to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall even... You shall eat the fat of the land. Now you are ordered, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. And do not concern yourselves with your goods. Just pack up and leave house and furniture. Don't even worry about it, because you're going to get the best that that, that Egypt has. You're going to have provision for everything. Then the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments. But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments, five suits with vests. And and and, And to his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the journey. I want you to mark that. I want to know to show something a minute. Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. And indeed he is ruler over the, all the land of Egypt. But he was stunned. He had a heart attack. A, small, a, a slight coronary. Scripture says his, wor- his heart grew numb. When they told him all the words of Jacob, Joseph that he had spoken to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, 
Then Israel said, It is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. On, tw- on the 75th birthday, his 75th birthday, General Douglas MacArthur said, In the central room of every heart there is a recording chamber. And if the recording turns on so that you face life with hope and optimism and purpose, you're still young. But if all the wires are down, covered with the snows of pessimism and the ice of cynicism, then and only then have you grown old. By that measurement of age, I'm still young because the lines are not down and I don't face life with pessimism and cynicism. But I'm telling you what, I'm feeling the years and things have changed a lot. Most of my family is dead You know, Freddie Gage says, all my friends are dead. He's not got a whole lot on me. Most of my family is gone. I can remember only one family reunion, my lifetime. I was just a little boy. And my parents went out to my father's family reunion in McKenzie Park in Lubbock, Texas. I don't remember a whole lot about that. I remember three things. I remember how fat everybody was. I couldn't believe it. Everybody over 40 was fat. I remember how much homemade ice cream I ate. I'll never forget that. And I remember that my family stood around and they talked about how it used to be. And they reminisced and, and they uh, uh, talked about the way it was, the, the, the way it had been. And they laughed and they talked and they reminisced. I thought, you know, how, how strange that people would get around and talk about the way we were. Well, I took a little trip yesterday, had to be in Wichita Falls, Texas, 8 o'clock yesterday morning. So I went on past Wichita Falls to, to visit my mother. It's not even the same going home anymore. Eleven years ago, I buried my father. I know that family reunions are over for me. And even as I made my way to my, the home of my childhood, it was, it's never really been the same since he died, of course. And I can remember as I started into town, straining my neck to see a block away the house of my best friend where I spent nearly every Sunday afternoon playing baseball in his front yard. And I remembered Barbara Streisand's song, The Way We Were. And the smiles we left behind. Don't don't get Terry. It's going to get more optimistic in a minute. The smiles we gave to one another and the way we were. Don't you imagine that Joseph must have thought a lot of times about the way it had been. And I can imagine after 23 years living away from his brothers and his father, that he must have gone out in the garden a lot of times at night and looked toward Canaan, just remembered his father and how it used to be. And I imagine he said in his heart, Will we ever be together again? Will we ever see each other again? Well, in the strange and marvelous working of God, that's what's going to happen. Because as you know, his brothers came to Egypt, driven there by the famine. And there they discovered their brother Joseph, indeed alive. Not just alive, but the governor of the land in charge of all the provisions. And when he made himself known to his brothers, 
The, the whole plot now comes together, and this is the sermon we've been waiting for, the time when we all get together again, Joseph and his brothers, and the father he hasn't seen for over two decades. Now, the Scripture says that Pharaoh, when he heard about it, he said, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's do it upright. You go and get your father. You tell your brothers, go get their father and bring him back to Egypt. And I'm going to give him the best land in Egypt. I'm going to give him the fertile part of the Nile, the Delta area. And they're going to eat from the fat of the land. You know what? God's not the enemy of your enemies. I was just thinking the other day that... You know, God is not just, uh, He's not uh, uh, the enemy of my enemies. He's not even the enemy of His enemies. And, 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 And what God wants to do is not only bless you, but He wants to bless those who hate you. And you might as well, you know, uh, recognize that. And, and, I, and I was reading in the Beatitudes again, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And it's the only time that's ever mentioned. They shall be called the sons of God. For it seems to be saying, if you'll just come to peace with your enemies, the people that God loves, He not only wants to bless you, He wants to bless your enemies. He said, you go get your father and your brothers, these people that have done you wrong, and you bring them back to Egypt. I want to give them the best I have. And so Joseph did exactly that. And he suited them all up in Hart Schaffner and Marks and Hickey Freeman's. And he gave them some uh, floor-shine shoes. I was going to say Alan Edmonds, but they're Jews. He gave them some floor-shine shoes. He gave five suits to Benjamin, his son, his brother he hadn't seen in years. And he sent them back to get their father. Now, can you see that picture? It's a mind-boggling one. For these people came out of famine, and they came in starvation, and they found this treasure uh, of goods and provisions. And here they come to the land of famine, to the land of nothing, to the land of need. And they're dressed up like they just stepped out of uh, out of a Vogue magazine uh, cover. Oh, isn't God good to bless, you see. Now, I want you to notice verse 24 because it's almost humorous. He's, when he sent his brothers away, he said to them, don't quarrel on the journey. I mean, isn't that hilarious? You ever had a brother that'd like to take charge? Um, guy was telling me the other day, so I had a brother that I, you know, that just... Uh, you know, I was a baby of the family and, and mother and daddy put him in charge. He just loved it. So we called him Hitler. And he said, every time we breathed, you know, he's uh, thumping us on the head or, or telling us something. He says, now, now, brother, don't quarrel on the journey. You reckon why he said that? Because he knew his brothers. And all of a sudden, these guys are rich, you know. And, 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 and still, you know, even though... Now, well, watch this. We, we've seen the progression of the change of these brothers. They got things right with God in this 23-year period. And they came and they got things right with their brother, but they still had the same old human nature. And the same old human nature was that they quarreled with one another and they were jealous of one another. And you need to know that. You need to know that about the people who get saved. I mean, they, say, they still have the same human nature. They still have the same personality. They're not going to be perfect. You need to know that about yourself. Sometimes, you know, we, we think, well, as soon as I get saved, I'm never going to sin anymore. But I mean, it isn't a day until you begin to feel the, you know, the hot breath of the Egyptian taskmasters bearing down on you again. 
You're not going to just turn into a sweet, loving, kind, generous, uh, gracious person. I can promise you that. I've, I know you too well to, 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 to see that. And, and you know what's happening here? You know what Joseph is doing? He said, you're still my brothers and you haven't changed that much. Oh, you've gotten right with God, you've gotten right with me, but you're still the same old brothers. I want you to know I accept you just like you are. Can you do that? Uh, you know, those people do you wrong once they've come and they've made it right with you. Are you able to accept them just the way they are, even though they still aren't perfect? That's what he's saying. Now, boys, when you go back, don't you quarrel on the way. The word that, that's used there is a, is a heavy word. It's a word for agitate. It means what happens just before you get into a fight. <laughs> and he just knew them to a T. When they got back and they told their father, his father, their father, uh, his heart stopped beating. This, this, this thing is... Now, you may not think this is too serious stuff, but it's terribly serious. When they got back to that situation, his heart stopped beating when he heard the news that his son was still alive. I, I know that um, that might happen to you if you heard your son was dead. An um, 18-year-old boy came to my father's house, lived eight miles out in the country. An 18-year-old boy came to my father's house with a telegram. And he read that telegram off to my father. My brother was dead. And my father had a heart attack and never recovered from it, really. You, you, might, you might have that kind of a reaction if you got news your, brother, your, your son was dead. But listen, when he heard his son was still alive... It rocked him right here. And, and, and I want you just to catch the trauma of that as we move to chapter 46. Don't you dare miss it. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 or 5. So Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God, to, to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. He'll be there when you die. Now, now, I want to do something real practical with you just for a minute. Now, if you had just heard that your son, you hadn't seen for 23 years, you thought was dead, was alive, and down in Egypt, and he sent you all of this provision and invited you to come to live with him, what would you do? You'd, you'd hurry to Egypt, wouldn't you? Now, now, don't miss this. Jacob did not do that. Now he said, my son is, is still alive, I want to go see him. And he made it as far down as to the border, the, the, the lower border of Canaan, the southernmost border to Beersheba, and there he stopped. And he built an altar because he wanted to get in touch with God. And he wanted to be sure that it was all right with God for him to go there. He wanted to make sure that God was going to be with him in this move. Now watch this. And I think there's something very practical here because we're a mobile uh, uh, nation. You, you know, there are 40 million people move every year in the United States. One out of every five people will move annually. Now, now what causes somebody to move, you see? Well, money. If I can get a better job, 
if I can get more money, I'll, I'll, I'll move. I, I was reading the other day where uh, the coach from Tulsa went to the University of Arkansas to be a Razorbacks coach. And they interviewed this guy. He said, 90% of my decision was money. Um, th- there's more to moving than money, see. Now, Jacob came to this point in south part of Canaan, and, and this is where he stopped, built this altar, and said, God, is it all right for, for, for me to go down there? Is it all right with you if I make this move? And God said two things. Uh, it's all right. I'll give you permission because I'm going to be with you. Now, watch this. If you get God's permission to go anywhere, you're safe. If God says, you know, move on the backside of the desert, and that's where God invites you or, or sends you or permits you, then you're safe. There's no place that is as safe as the will of God. I used to think that God was calling me to be a missionary. Now, I, I'll tell you what, I dug in pretty, I put the heels in on that one. And they'd have these mission cl- sermons, mission services, and chapel at seminary. I, I, I never went to those. I was afraid I'd surrender to be a missionary. Baker James Cawthon preached. I'd be in Africa the next morning on a fast trip. Man, I was scared to death of that. And I shared that with a guy, David D'Amigo, one of the, one of the professors now at seminary. I shared with him my fear. This is what he said to me. He said, Gerald, the safest place in the world is in the will of God. Now, now, Jacob said, Lord, can I go there? He said, I'll let you go. The second thing he said was, I'm going to one day bring you out. It's a prophecy of the Exodus. Now, I want you to know that it took 400 years and there were 2 million people in Egypt as the result of this 70 folks going down there. 400 years later, he brought them out. But God is always true to His Word. Now, He tells you you're going to do something. He'll do it. It may not be in your lifetime. But he'll do it. He's, he's faithful to his word. And so 400 years and 2 million people later, later, God broke the hand of the Egyptians and brought them out. Well, I want to... I, I want you to skip now to verse 29 because I want to pick up and we're going to wind this up. Verse 28. There's a couple other things I wanted to say there, but I uh, don't have time and... and uh, and, and besides all that, it's about how, wise, how husbands are supposed to treat wives, and we can do that some other time. Verse 28. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Now let the drums roll. Or let the violins play and get serious, because this is one of the most dynamic things in all of God's Word. And Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel as soon as he appeared before him. He fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. I don't, I don't suppose that I've ever read that, that I didn't get just a little choked up. I'm serious. I can just see it. And it's too, it's too heavy for words, really. I was watching one day when Nolan Ryan pitched a no-hitter in the Astrodome. And when he made the last out, that place went berserk. And you know what those announcers did? They just sat there. 
and there was about five minutes where you just watched and you just listened. And I wish we could reenact that tonight. Just let it happen here where we could just watch and listen to this young man weep on the neck of his daddy. It's, it's too great for words. And the only words that were ever spoken were these. The only appropriate words were these. I'm ready to die. Now, in looking back, you know, I found... Looking backward and forward, I found that there are three reunions. Now watch this. There are really three reunions in the Scripture. There was a national reunion. It took place, if you'll read sometime, the book of Ezra. And to the eighth chapter of the book of Nehemiah, you'll find it. And and, and Israel and, and the Jews had been in Babylonian captivity for over 70 years. And their city was turned into rubble. In fact, the Scripture says that they couldn't even ride over the city in a donkey, on a donkey, because it was just mounds of debris had ruined the city. And in God's marvelous plan for, for, for Israel... He let them go back to build, rebuild their city. And Nehemiah went to build the wall, the governor. And the eighth chapter of Nehemiah tells about this national reunion. The people were there who couldn't even understand or speak Hebrew. That had been, they had been so long in Babylon that the only language they could understand was the Chaldean language, was the Babylonian dialect. They didn't even understand Hebrew. And so they got them out there, and they got all the folks out, and they had these interpreters there that could speak, you know, they were bilingual, could speak uh, in their native tongue the words, and then help them translate it, help them understand what it was being said. And so they stood up, 8 o'clock in the morning, they stood up, and they read from the Bible, from the Word of God, until noon. And they'd translate, and they'd explain what God's Word was. And these Jews were hearing the, the Word of God in their native tongue for the first time in their lifetime. And they wept. And they stood there. And they became a nation again. And they were reunited again. They were brought together again. And they wept. There was a second reunion. It was a personal one. And Jesus told about it. He said there was this boy who decided he wanted to go on his own. So he told his dad, give me what's mine. And he struck out. He split. He headed for the far country. And there he wasted his substance in wicked living. 
And one day he came to himself and said, everything I've ever wanted in life is in my Father's house. Isn't that amazing? That everything we're looking for in life is in the Father's house. He said, I'm going back to my Father. So he started home. And the Scripture says that the Father saw him a great way off. He'd been sitting there watching for him for a lifetime, it seemed. And as he saw him coming down the road, he ran to him. And there's this dynamic reunion. Something like that needs to happen with some of you tonight. You've gotten away from the Father. You decided you could do it on your own and you spent a decade down in Egypt and your father in Canaan. And I want you to know he's waiting on you tonight. And there's no reunion like the reunion of coming home to God, of getting back to the father's house. I mean, there's nothing like that. Something like that needs to happen. And if you've gotten all messed up with your brother... It's in the Father's house. You need to get that stuff straightened out and come home. And there needs to be this reunion tonight in this very place and on this television of the people who have become estranged from one another and from the Father. Because you can't walk with God if you're not walking with your brother. And I was preaching a service in Brownfield, Texas. The wind's blowing about 60 miles an hour, sandstorm. People came into the church that, that Sunday. It was a terrible day, I thought. Man, how can we worship God in this place, in this day? And I preached a sermon on Adam coming back to the, you know, in the, in the garden and God saying, where are you, running from God or whatever. And a young man came down and I saw a commotion. And a father came up and they just embraced here, found out after the service. That boy had been gone for years. His father didn't even know where he was. He came into that service, sat in the back. His father didn't even know he was there. In the service, he got right with God and with his father. I tell you, it was glorious. Some of us just need to get right with one another and get together. There needs to be a reunion. This is one family here, you see. Some of us have taken off to Egypt, taken off to the far country, and the Father's just waiting on us to come back. There is one other reunion. I want to read about it. Laura sang about it. It's just great. I'm just, I'm just thrilled it happened that she sang about this. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall, precede those who have, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Don't you miss out on that. They come in from the east and from the west and the north and the south. And the scripture says they'll sit down in the kingdom of Abraham. Don't you miss out on the big show when it takes place over there. Charlie Howard said, I'm going to go up to Elijah. And when I get there, I'm going to ask him, I say, how about that old gal that got after you back down there on earth, that Jezebel? He said, I'm going to ask him. Then I'm going to tell him about some Jezebels that got after me, you know, when I was down on earth. 
And he said, I'm going to go up to Martin Luther. I'm going to say, Martin, I sure am glad you led that Reformation. But when you started Reformation, why didn't you just go on all the way and become a Baptist? Why didn't you stop halfway? He said, it's going to be a great show when we get there. Don't you miss out on it. Now, I don't remember my brother. I was six years old when he left, never to come back. But I'm going to see him one of these days. I'm not going to miss that. And I want you to know that I've done so many funerals that I've almost lost count. Some of the sweetest people on this earth I have buried. And it it doesn't get easier. It gets harder. But I'm going to see them all one of these days. I tell you what, I'm not going to miss out on it. I hope you don't. If you're here tonight and you're separated from loved ones, because of your sin and they're saved, you better get it right so you can be in on that reunion. Isn't that going to be great? Leo Edelman describes it like this, and then I'll quit. He said, at the end of World War II, our ship was tied up in, in dock in Manila, the Philippine Islands. We had a fully load, full load of troops and equipment. The scuttlebutt, Navy talk, of, Navy talk gossip said we were going to, to, to go around the Cape of England Others said to Hong Kong. Others said back to Japan. Others said home. He said, well, lines were cast off and the boat swings pipe shrilled and the public address system said, now hear this, captain of the ship. This is Captain A.B. Leggett commanding. We receive orders to proceed by the double great circle route to Uncle Sugar, United States of America from the black gang in the boiler room to the watch in the crow's nest, from the forecastle to the fantail, a jubilant shout went up, we're going home. As we steamed out past Corregidor and Bataan, we tossed a mental salute to those who died there. But our thoughts shifted far to the east, we're going home. We had a soldier on board who had gone into the Luzon jungle, some of you may remember that, with his company of 200 men, seven came out alive. He looked a while in soberness, braced his shoulders and smiled. He was going home. We had two weeks of stormy sea. Most of the troops and many ships company were seasick. But this was different. Behind us was the hell of Okinawa and Iwo Jima. Dehydrated eggs and potatoes didn't taste so bad as they had. Home. The long night watches, the general alarm, the minefields, the tense moments of identification of aircraft, and the eternal waiting began to fade into the unbelievable land of war. The great day had come. We were going home. The sun came up through the thinning fog that morning between Twin Peaks. The Golden Gate Bridge looked like the gates of glory. The Red Cross sent a brass band on a small ship Whether they were good musicians or not, they sounded like angels to us. The signs of welcome all about the bay seemed very personal. When the gangplank hit the dock, I stepped ashore. The only time I ever took advantage of the cross on my sleeve, he was a minister. The operator rang a number in Alameda. She said, hello, and I was home. We bought more candy than we could ever eat in the sheer joy that it could be bought. We bought more flowers than our women could ever wear just because there was a land left that grew them. We ate and laughed and looked and privately wept. Home, wonderful home. 
Now the New Testament bears witness to me tonight and to you that there will be a better day than this one. The battle will be over. The victory of Christ will be won. Our personal trials will be over. The triumph, the triumphant Savior will welcome us home. And these exhilarating truths bring sunrise today. And I'm going home. One of these days he'll say, Son, come here. It's time to go get your bridegroom. This is your wedding day. Don't you dare miss out on it. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we're glad that we can open up the Scripture and find such great encouragement. A son reunited with his father. A father with his son. And I pray there could be that reunion tonight in this place, a father and his son reunited, a brother with his brother, a sister with his sister, a son with his heavenly father, making things right, coming back from the far country, coming home, coming to himself, realizing that everything he's looking for in life is in the Father's house, that there'd be some who'd come home tonight. And I thank you for the realization that we're all moving in that eschatological hope to the ultimate triumph of Christ when the last trump shall sound, the last trial will end. We'll be going home. The dead in Christ rising first all of us caught up together in the air forever with the Lord. Oh, what great joy that brings to think about it. And I pray for that man, that child, that young person who would be left behind, who would be lost forever if he didn't decide tonight to give his heart to Jesus and be saved. Oh, I pray for him. And I pray for that one who if Jesus came tonight, would be ashamed to stand before the Lord. May it be a good time of reunion, getting things right, weeping on the neck of the Father, because I pray in Jesus' name. Now there are three invitations. Look right here. The first invitation is for you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The opportunity for you to be saved to accept Jesus Christ into your life. You just come and claim Christ. Come and accept Him. Come and trust Him. The second invitation for those of us who need to get right with one another, with God, are to join the church. These are God's invitations to you. You come while we stand to sing. You come.